When I was nine years old, my dreams had finally come true. My cousin, who happened to be my best friend at the time, he was having his nine-year-old birthday party. Now, this birthday party was a little unusual in that we were going two hours away from Paducah, Kentucky, where I was born and raised, to a place called Carbondale, Illinois. Now, we were going to a, um, a civic center there to witness or to participate in something that had dominated my life and my cousin's life for, I would guess, at least the last three years. We were going to watch a WWF wrestling match. <laughs> now, I know that WWF has kind of gone through its transitions, and now it's WWE, I believe, but I'm talking about this was the time that wrestling was at its classic, all right? We're talking about Hulk Hogan. We're talking about Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man, Randy Savage. Do I need to keep going on? The Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, Rowdy Rowdy Piper. I could go on and on and on, okay? So during this match, the, the, the main event that was going to take place was between two wrestlers. It was Andre the Giant versus uh, the Ultimate Warrior. Now, some of you say, I don't know who Andre the Giant is. Yes, you do. If you've seen the Princess Diaries, that was him, all right? So even if you don't know who that is, this big giant there. So before the the main event would occur, there were six other wrestling matches that took place, kind of building up to this main event. So after the the six events are, are over, the six wrestling matches, then finally they call in Andre the Giant. So they have this long runway where they walk in. So they call his name, and they play his music, and he struts up to the the ring, and he walks around the ring a couple times. Well, then it's time for who was my favorite wrestler at the time, the Ultimate Warrior. So they call the Ultimate Warrior's name out, and it's this loud, crazy music, and, and he ends up running from the dressing room and all the way in. I'm not making this up. He runs, gets in the ring, runs around the ring three times. He picks up Andre the Giant, body slams him, lays on top of him. One, two, three, matches over. They get out. All of it's finished in less than two minutes. <laughs> all of that anticipation. All of that that we are looking forward to, this incredible match, all we're left with is Andre the Giant on the ground being body slammed by the ultimate warrior. Now, I think as boys, and maybe not even boys, maybe teenage men or teenagers or or grown men, that there's a natural draw to our next Old Testament character that we're going to be studying today, and that is the character of Samson. Samson reminds me of those WWF wrestlers, right? What did he have about him? He had this amazing strength. He had this amazing ability to do some incredible things. One of the most incredible things that he accomplished in his life was, do you remember the story? He killed a thousand men with what? The jawbone of a donkey. All right, men. How many of us wish we could say that we have done that, right? We want that story at the next Christmas party, don't we? You got those three men, they're gathered around together. One man says, hey, well, I increased my sales revenue by 5% this year. Oh, good. Proud of you. Next guy says, hey, I got a $15,000 raise this year. That's great. You just stand there. You wait for them to finish. 5% increase, $15,000. I killed 1,000 men with the jawbone of a donkey. (laughs) Take your mic. Just drop it right there game over, right? Don't we wish we could say that? That we could, that we could say that, man, there's this, this natural draw that we have towards Samson. But I don't think this draw is just for boys or for men, but I think all of us are drawn to Samson because sometimes we see ourselves in him. 
If you know the story of Samson, you know that he messed up royally in multiple ways. And we know that Samson was a sinner. Every single one of us here, whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not, I hope that you recognize that you are a sinner so we can identify with Samson. And we think, well, gosh, if, if God can love and use Samson with all of his flaws, with all of his mistakes, then surely God can use even me, right? Surely God can use me. I haven't messed up as big or as royally as Samson has at that point. Well, I hope that what we're going to see as we have the last several weeks is that the story of Samson, it reveals so much more than just a story of of his strength. It's so much more than just his bravery or his courage, especially that we see that he lives out at the end of his life. But instead, we are going to see in the story of Samson that Samson points to a greater figure that we're going to be reading about. Samson's story, just like so many other stories that we've studied in the Old Testament, I love the way one commentator writes. He says that these characters in the Old Testament provide an outline for which Jesus fills in. These Old Testament characters, they begin a story, but they don't finish the story. Who completes the story? Jesus does. The story of Samson, just like every other character in the Bible, it points to a greater rescuer who was to come thousands of years later. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to the book of Judges in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. You'll find Judges there. We're going to be in chapters 13 13 through 16 is where we find the story of Samson's life. And don't worry, we don't have time to go through his entire life this morning. Um, But I do want to give kind of the the 30,000-foot view level of Samson's life. And then I really want to spend some time at the end of our message this morning, looking at the correlation between Samson and Jesus. So let's look first at Samson's birth. And if you're in Judges chapter 13, we're going to read the first five verses to read about the birth of Samson. So Judges chapter 13, if you don't have it, the words will be on the screen behind me. It begins this way. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Verse 4. Now see to it that you drink no wine or fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Two quick facts I want to point out about uh, Samson's birth. The first thing that we see in those first five verses is that Samson's birth was promised miraculously before his birth. We see that. Look look at verse 3 here. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Right there in verse 3, we can recognize that not only is Samson's birth a miracle, not only is it prophesied before it occurs, that many biblical characters, scholars, they look at this phrase, these, these words here, the angel of the Lord, and most people think that that actually refers to Jesus himself that it was the pre-incarnate Jesus that was speaking to them, saying, this this boy is going to be born to you. Just as as you may remember, we're going to be studying the story after Christmas of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And remember, they were thrown into the fiery furnace. But when they look in the furnace, there's not three men, but there's how many? 
There's four, and most people believe that was the pre-incarnate before he was born into flesh, that that was Jesus himself as well. The second thing we notice about Samson's birth is that his birth was an answer to Israel's bondage. It was an answer to the bondage that Israel had been in. You see that in verse 5. It says, No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart to God from birth. And here it is. And he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistine. Now hold on to this verse because at the end of our time together, we're going to come back to this verse. But what I want you to recognize is, and I want you to understand is that for 40 years, the Israelites had been under the oppression of the Philistines. Okay, so they had been under the oppression of the Philistines here. And before we, we move on with Samson's life, I want you to see how Jesus' life it almost intersects with Samson, even from his birth. Let me just point these out to you. The first thing that we said was that, that Samson's birth was promised miraculously before his birth. Well, we know the same thing happened with Jesus, doesn't it? You can see it in Luke chapter 1, that Gabriel promised Mary that Jesus would be born how? Miraculously, even though she was a virgin, just like Samson. Number two, his birth for Samson was an answer to Israel's bondage. They had been in bondage for 40 years. Well, just as Samson came to deliver the Israelites from who? The Philistines. Jesus came to deliver us from something even greater than the Philistines. He came into this world to save us, the world, from our sins. You see that in Matthew 1, 21. It says, she will give birth to a son, meaning Jesus, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Friends, we can see as we read the story of Samson that the story of Samson points to a truer and better judge who was to come thousands of years later. We see it even from his birth. Now, again, we don't have time to go through chapters 14 and 15 because we're going to end up in 16. So I just want to give you just a brief overview of of Samson's life so you'll be able to to put all this together. So if you're going to give just a a brief summary of Samson's life, we know that Samson first was a leader or a judge, hence the book of Judges, over Israel for 20 years. In fact, he was the last judge over Israel that we have in the book of Judges. So he was there for 20 years as the leader. During his life... We know that he killed a lot of of different people and things. We know that in Judges 14, he killed a lion. We're going to study that with his bare hands. We're going to read that in just a minute. Not only that, but he killed 30 Philistines. Judges 14, verse 19, you can read that story. And we also killed 1,000 men in Judges 15, as I just referenced, with the jawbone of a donkey. Now, all throughout Samson's life, he was unconquerable. No one could ever defeat Samson. What's interesting about Samson is even though he was a leader, he was the judge, the the ruler for 20 years, nowhere in Scripture, in chapters 13, 14, 15, or 16 of Judges, does it say that he called all of the armies together to fight this battle. It's kind of unusual because he had the right, he had the privilege as the ruler, but he always does things on his own from what we read about in the book of Judges. Samson was incredibly bold before men. He had courage. He had strength. He wasn't afraid to speak truth when he was in front of men. But he had one particular weakness. That was women. He could be bold in front of men, but when he got with women, we see him fail time and time again. Now, God calls Samson. He says, part of your role, I want you to go to war against the Philistines because they were holding them under oppression. 
But instead of going to war against the Philistines, we see that Samson ends up befriending the Philistines. In fact, he ends up marrying a Philistine woman. One commentator said that that Samson fought the Lord's battle by day and disobeyed the Lord's commandments by night. He was brave before men, but he was weak whenever he left the Lord and he got with women. Samson, just like John the Baptist, as we read about, he was a Nazarite. And you say, what does that mean to be a Nazarite? A Nazarite was a person who consecrated themselves to the Lord for a specific time or a specific way. Now, three things that we know about Nazarites, in particular about Samson, in this way that he was setting himself apart or he was consecrating himself for the Lord, he abstained from drinking wine, that all of his life he was going to stay away from, from alcohol. Secondly, they were not allowed to touch a dead body. We're going to read about that, why that's important in just a minute. And third, they were not allowed to, they they allowed their hair to grow. So he wasn't allowed to cut his hair. Now, again, most of the people who were Nazarites, that they would say, we're going to consecrate ourselves or we're going to set apart ourselves for the Lord for this specific season of time, for this amount of time, and then we're going to go back to our normal ways. But that wasn't the way with Samson, was it? Remember from his birth in, in verse 7, it says, But he said to me, this is the angel, Jesus, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now then drink no wine or other fermented drink and do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from birth until what? The day of his, what's that last word? Death. So he says, so Samson is to be a Nazarite. He's to keep these vows until the day that he dies. Now most pictures that you see of Samson especially if you're looking at a children's Bible. It's this strong, big physique, these huge muscles that are coming in front of him. In fact, some of them look like this. Now, I know some of you think that that came from my Facebook profile picture. Um, That wasn't supposed to be that funny. Um, But actually, it didn't, okay, for those of you that were confused. Um, But, you know, I don't know why we have that view of Samson. Because if you read Scripture, Scripture doesn't say there's anything unusual about his appearance. It doesn't say there's anything different about the way that he looks. Remember, they were all questioning why he was so strong, right? So I don't happen to think that he had these huge muscles and this incredible physique, or else they would have just said, hey, oh, well, he's just strong. Look at his muscles. But while we don't know that, while we do know that he demonstrated amazing amounts of strength, the secret, it wasn't in his hair. Even Samson thought it was, though, right? The source of strength wasn't in his hair. The source of strength was found in that the Holy Spirit dwelt inside of Samson for a period of time. And while Samson had clearly been chosen by God, we see time and time again that Samson quickly falls short of God's desires for his life. So when you get to chapter 14, we see that that he has chosen this Philistine woman that he wants to marry. So he and his family are on their way to prepare for this wedding. And in chapter 14, while they're on their way to prepare for this wedding, he ends up going off the main path and he winds up in a vineyard. While he's in the vineyard, a lion ends up attacking him. Judges chapter 14, verse 6 says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Isn't that interesting to say that? That's what made him strong, not his hair. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he did what? He tore the lion apart with his bare hands. Wow. As he might have torn a young goat. And then, if you keep reading in Scripture, it says that then Samson ends up eating honey from the carcass of this lion. 
So here we see just in the first six chapters of chapter 14, that the first six verses of chapter 14, that he has already broken two of the Nazarite laws. The first thing he did was that he defiled himself by going into the vineyard. He's broken one law. Then we know that he broke the second law because he touched a dead body. He touched that dead lion as he was scooping the honey from the lion's carcass. Then it's kind of a crazy turn of events. Because what happens is then as he's getting ready to get married, he's marrying a Philistine, remember, the Philistines decide that they need 30 men to be a part of his wedding party. Again, you thought your wedding party was large. How about 30 men to be a part of of this wedding? So they choose 30 men, and during that time, Samson, I don't know if he gets bored or what's going on, but he comes up with this riddle. And he comes up with this riddle, and he wants to put a little wager on it, okay? And he says, guys, listen. If you can answer this riddle, I will give you these garments of linen that I'll give you. But if you can't guess it, then you've got to give me 30 garments of linen. Well, there's seven days for them to figure out the answer to this riddle. So they end up going to his wife, who was a what? Philistine, same as they were. And they try to convince her, try to figure out, get him to tell you the answer to what this riddle is. So time keeps going on, and Samson refuses time and time again until the seventh day. Remember, his weakness was women. So finally, on the seventh day, he reveals the answer to this riddle. So the Philistine men come up to Samson and say, here's the answer. He says, you're right. I've got to be a man of my word. So he ends up traveling 20 miles down the road, and he has to kill 30 Philistines in order to get their garments of linen, and he's going to bring them back. Now, here's where the story gets crazy. So he's killed these 30 men. He's bringing these garments back to them. And by the time he gets back, his father-in-law has now given his daughter, which would be Samson's wife, away to the best man to be married. You thought you had father-in-law issues? How about that? Your father-in-law gives your bride to be married to someone else. Well, God, in his incredible sovereignty, he uses this to turn Samson's uh, friendship with the Philistines to what it should be, and now he wants to get revenge against the Philistines, and now Samson finally sees the Philistines as God wants him to see them as the enemy of Israel. So in chapter 15, as you read that, Samson ends up getting revenge on his father-in-law. And there's a crazy story that you can read in the first part of chapter 15 of how he destroys all of their crops. And after he destroys the crops, the Philistines respond by attacking Samson. So it's going back and forth. And then we read in in chapter 15, verse 8, it says, He, meaning Samson, attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Now, we don't know how many of them are, but more than two, right? So Samson gets mad, and he slaughters many of them. So then, you tracking with me? I promise we're going to wind up here, but I want you to catch the story. The people of Judah, which is part of Israel, okay? And Samson is the ruler of what country? Israel. He's the last ruler here. So his own people team up with the Philistines, and they capture Samson. Isn't this crazy? His own people partner with the enemies, and they capture and they bind Samson. Now, we have to believe, according to this verse, if he viciously and slaughtered many, viciously attacked them and slaughtered many of them, he could have gotten out of that, right? But I happen to believe that because he didn't want to murder his own people, those that were Israelites, he ends up surrendering to them. So they end up taking him... <coughs> 
excuse me, to the Philistines. And as he goes to the Philistines, before that happens, chapter 15, verses 14 through 15, <clears throat> says, As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. Here it is again. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, not his hair, right? The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. And watch this. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. So that's chapter 15. And finally we get to the last phase of Samson's life, the phase that almost all of us know whether you're raised in church or not, the phase of Samson's life where Samson is with a girl named Delilah. So he falls in love with Delilah. And some of the Philistine leaders, they they go to Delilah and say, listen, if you can get him to convince you or tell you the source of his strength, we will give you the silver. We'll give you these this many pieces of silver. All you have to do is get him to tell you how does he have his own strength. Now, as we read the story, we don't have time to read the whole story of Samson and Delilah. You would think, right, that after a female that even you're in love with has bound you up three times, has called in the enemies to come and capture you, that finally you'd say, hey, maybe she's not really in love with me. Don't you think you would get that? She's wrapped me up three times. She's called the enemies to come and capture me. Maybe something here is not going to click. But as we see, Samson is blinded by the truth because of the passion of his heart. Now, here's what I want you to remember here. It's easy to look at Samson and say, I can't believe Samson would fall for that again. Let's turn it on ourselves. Church family, how many times do we willingly disobey God's word? Not because we don't know it's wrong but because our desire for sin is stronger than our desire for holiness. Let me say that again. How many times do you and I willingly disobey God's word, not because we're ignorant, not because, well, I didn't know that was wrong, but because our desire for sin was so much stronger than our desire for holiness and to be where God wants us to be. That's what happened to Samson. So finally... The fourth time that Delilah deceives him, it finally clicks and Samson tells her that his strength is found in his hair and that he will lose all of his strength if his hair is cut. Again, the strength was not in his what? Hair. Strength wasn't in his hair any more than the strength or the power was in Moses' rod as he held it up and the Red Sea was parted, right? The strength wasn't in his hair any more than the strength was in the, the, the trumpets as Joshua and the, and the, the people, they marched around the walls of Jericho. The strength wasn't in his hair anymore, and the strength was in the torches that the Gideon had as he went and he fought the Midianites. No, but when he lost his hair, the Lord left him, and he was as weak as any other man. So the Philistines come in, and they overpower him. They put out his eyes. They gouge his eyes out. They bind him up, and they took him to Gaza where he's going to work in a grinding mill. While he's at this grinding mill, he ends up doing work that even slaves aren't called to do. He ends up doing work that they usually have animals participate in. But during this time in the grinding mill, his hair begins to grow again. And while the power wasn't in his hair, but in what his hair, what? Symbolized. And his hair symbolized his dedication to God. I happen to believe, this is just my conjecture here as I'm reading into Scripture, that while Samson was in that grinding mill, that he restored his relationship with God. 
I think he repented of his wrongdoing. Again, it wasn't that God came back to him. God never leaves us. God stays right where he is. It's only us that move further away from God, and we can any time can come back to him. And I believe that's what happened while Samson was in this grinding mill. His hair begins to grow, and, and then we know how the story ends. There's a religious festival. And during the religious festival, the Philistines call for Samson to come in and entertain them. They're in this huge temple, and this temple housed at least 3,000 people because there were 3,000 people that were on the roof of this house. Now, I happen to believe that Samson had been there, or at least had seen this temple before. It was such a large structure, and, and as he's led into the temple there, he asked the attendant to place him between the two pillars. And when he's standing there between the two pillars with no eyes after he's been beaten, after he's been in this grinding mill, he asked the Lord, Lord, would you answer one more prayer? And the prayer that Samson makes, it says, Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me, O God. And here's what he asked, Please strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all of his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, he killed many more when he died than when he lived. So God answers Samson's last prayer and all the Philistines who were there end up dying along with him. Now, I warned you that we were going to come back to a verse that we started with before we ended this morning. I said we were going to come back to what the angel of the Lord said to Samson's parents, and that was in Judges 13, verse 15. The angel of the Lord, who we believe was Jesus, said, look at this in yellow, says, he will, what's that next word? Begin. Say it out loud. He will what? Begin the deliverance of Israel. Now, what's interesting to me about that verse is that one word, that he will begin the deliverance of Israel. Samson's the last judge that's mentioned in the book of Judges. So if Samson were to begin the deliverance of Israel, and he's the last judge that's mentioned, then the author must believe that the, the deliverance would follow even after the book ended, correct? The author had to know, as you and I, who are followers of Jesus, know God's grand story, that there would be an even greater deliverer who would come and once and for all not only give Israel deliverance, but all of us who are in bondage to sin, that we would be delivered from our sin. What Samson began, Jesus completed. He finished. And if you can't see the correlation between Samson and Jesus. Let me give you five short ways before we end this morning. Five ways that we see a foreshadowing of Jesus through the story of Samson. First, we saw that both were betrayed for silver. Delilah received silver. Who else received silver for Jesus? Judas received silver. We see that, that Samson died between two pillars. Many people see this as a foreshadowing of Jesus dying between two thieves before two crosses. We see that both were rejected and bound by their own people. You saw that from Samson. The, uh, those of Judah came after him along with the Philistines. Christ's own nation came after him. The, the Jewish people, they betrayed him, bound him, and turned him over to their enemy. 
Fourthly, we see that both died a voluntary death. While Samson's enemies, they celebrated, Samson destroyed them. How? By pulling down the pillars of their house upon themselves and even himself. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 10. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. You see, Jesus' enemies, they were celebrating. They were celebrating when Jesus was on the cross, thinking we finally got him. We showed him that he cannot do anything for us, but Christ pulled the entire house down upon them by his death. And finally, the relationship that we see between Samson and Jesus is that both had a victorious death. We read about it in Judges. God answered Samson's final prayer to kill his enemies. Look what Paul says happened with Jesus' death. It says, He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away. How? Nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Our Redeemer, our Rescuer, Jesus Christ, he was victorious in his death. In his death, he conquered sin, death, and hell itself. When Christ died upon the cross, he purchased for you and me and for those that will receive his gift, he obtained for us eternal salvation, eternal redemption. Friends, because your salvation is dependent upon Jesus' actions, not yours, I don't care where you are, I don't care how much you've sinned, you can rest assured that God can and still wants to save you and still wants to use you just like he did Samson. We are all like Samson. Every single one of us. We're like Samson because we've all received the gift that God has given us. For Samson, it was a strength. I don't know what it is for you, but you've received gifts because the Bible says and James says that every good gift comes from the Father above. So whatever gifts you have, whatever talents you have, you're just like Samson. I'm just like Samson. When I receive those gifts, say, thank you, God. I got it from here. I'll take care of it. And that's what happened to Samson. Samson lost his strength when he stopped depending on God. When he stopped depending on God, we are just like that. The same is true because you are strong. I am strong when we admit our what? Our weaknesses and we rely on his strength. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's in your past. I don't know what mistakes you've made. I don't know where you've been or where you think that you're going. But here's the message I want you to hear is that you are never too far for God to rescue you. You're never too far for God to use you. If God can use Samson with all of his mistakes, friend, hear me, God can and he wants to use you. But the choice is up to you. He's done everything that he can by giving the gift of his only son. We celebrate the beginning at Christmas, and we celebrate all the way through Easter. He's done everything he can. The question is, will you surrender your life? Will you say, God, everything that I have, it's yours? I don't care to get the recognition. I don't care to receive the glory. I want my life to count for eternity.
and know that he can use you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Samson. We thank you even more for the story of Jesus, the story of redemption that says we are never too far, that you can and you want to use us because of the actions of your son dying on the cross to pay for our debt. Lord, I pray that if there is someone here that has never trusted you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would not go one more day without trusting in you and calling upon you, asking for you to forgive them of their sins and receiving the gift of eternal life that comes through a confession of faith, laying down our own personal desires and picking up your righteousness casting all of our sinfulness upon Jesus and receiving your glory because of what your son did for us. We thank you for the season that we celebrate. We pray that we don't lose the sense of awe and wonder of what occurred thousands of years ago as God took on human flesh, was born to a virgin so that he might enter into our world. What a wonderful Savior. We love you, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.